Uh, just a quick question for you. If you ever go to the dentist, uh, how many exaggerate when you're talking to your dentist how often you brush and floss? Anyone? Every time you go, they ask you, have you been flossing? Who exaggerates how often you floss? Let me see your honest hands, a few honest people in the place. I got to go to the dentist this week for the first time in over a year, and I was so excited to be there. How many know that you love going to the dentist? Right? Who loves going to the dentist? You get your teeth cleaned. A few people, you love the cleaning, right? Who hates going to the dentist? Okay. Who hates going to the doctor? Anyone you love going to the doctor? Who hates going to the doctor? Right? What about the mechanic? Who loves to go to the mechanic? Who hates going to the mechanic? <laughs> How do we know that we love our doctors and our dentists and our mechanics because they help us in ways when we really need help, but it's a struggle to get there sometimes, right? I was just thinking about that idea that, you know, routine checks help us along the way. How many know this uh, familiar saying, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure? You know, I was thinking about that. I had a friend who was driving along and they had that little orange light on their dashboard. Not the empty gas light we talked about last week, but it was the check engine light. Have ever, anyone's ever seen that check engine light come on your dashboard? How many have ever had that sinking feeling, right? When it shows up, you're like, what is, is it's going to cost me thousands. Whatever is wrong, right? You get that sinking feeling and you're tempted to... Ignore it. I was talking to my friend, and I said, how long is your check engine like? Oh, it's always on. <laughs> it's always on. <laughs> I was thinking about this because how many know that if we uh, ignore those routine checkups, you know, if we ignore those warning signs and the gauges of our car, it can short-circuit and sabotage the life expectancy of our vehicle, right? We need regular routine checkups. How many know that if you short circuit uh, and, and don't look after the routine maintenance of your physical health, right, it, it shortens the life expectancy of your life. And so this uh, week we're starting a new series that we're calling Health Check. And Health Check is look, about looking at the gauges of our lives so that we don't short circuit God's plans and purposes for our life. We've been talking all last month about the prayers that are going to fire us up and get us ready to go, get us moving and the plans and purposes of God, but this month we're going to be looking at some of the gauges of our lives so that we can be walking in wholeness and fullness of what God has for us. How many know it's hard to change before you have to, right? It's hard to change before you have to. It's hard to get in shape before the heart attack happens, right? It can be hard to, um, you know, invest in the relationship before you see signs of cracking and implosion. It's hard to take control of our finances before we reach crisis point. It's hard to change before you have to. But we're going to be saying, God, would you help us to see some of the gauges of our lives so that we can be walking in the wholeness and health that you have for us so that we can be fully in your plans and purposes. You know, the, I was at uh, Indigo yesterday, and, and I saw there's huge sections of self-help and self-care books. How many know when we look to self, uh, often self is the problem, all right? Bible tells us that it's our self that's the problem. We need that perfect help, the love and, and mercy of our Jesus Christ to come and to lead us into wholeness and health. And so we're going to start that series today. And we have a guest coming today to speak with us, our, one of our very own Dr. Marge Pettinger. Would you come, Dr. Marge, and uh, would you welcome her, Bethel Church, as she comes to bring the word today. 
Now, Dr. Marge is a longtime family member of Bethel Church, and uh, she is, also has a, a deep history in chaplaincy and counseling. And uh, you may not know this, but she actually teaches on the faculty of the uh, Pan-African Christian College in Zimbabwe. And so we are just so thankful that although you teach around the world on a regular basis, to have you come and teach at your home church today. So let's give her one more welcome, Dr. Marge Pettinger. Thank you, Pastor Jeremy. Good morning, church. I just had to do that this morning because that's the way you might be greeted in some of the rural African churches. And in less than a week from now, I will actually be in Africa. And so I thought I better get kind of geared up for that. So once again, good morning, church. I count it a privilege to be sharing with you this morning and bringing you the word of God. I don't take this opportunity lightly, and I pray that God will use me as his instrument and that he will speak through me and you will hear his word this morning. I'm going to be sharing a number of scriptures with you, and perhaps more than you normally hear in a Sunday morning service, but I believe that God's word is much more significant than my word. And so I'm focusing on God's word. As Pastor Jeremy said, today at Bethel we're beginning a new series as we look at health. We are body, soul, and spirit. Or I like to say we're spirit, soul, and body. And so today we begin by looking at spiritual health. We're going to look at what that means, what it looks like, and then look at some ideas on how we achieve that for ourselves. I seem to have an echo or something here. Is that? Uh, <laughs> okay, thanks, Rob. Spirituality has become one of the buzzwords of the day, with some very different meanings, depending on who is using the word and in what context. I worked in spiritual care, in health care, for many years, managing the spiritual care department in one of the acute care hospitals in Edmonton, Alberta. There, we as a team of chaplains, social workers, nurses, doctors, dietitians, and others, accompanied patients in their journey towards health. Patients came mostly seeking physical health health for their bodies. And sometimes they came seeking mental health. But ultimately, many of them came to realize the need for healing in all areas, being spirit, soul, mind, and body. My responsibility was to help them find a path to spiritual health. <laughs> Those opportunities for me as a Christian chaplain were restricted. As we could not pray 
or talk about the saving grace of Jesus Christ. The saving grace available to everyone. And so, because those were the hospital guidelines, I dealt with that by pausing at the door of each patient. Before I would go into the room, I would pause at the door and pray. Pray silently that God would find a way, that God would show me how to interact with a particular patient in order that I might share the gospel with them and the love of Christ. With God, all things are possible. But today we're focusing on ourselves as individuals and what spiritual health looks like for us and what the scriptures have to say along with how we work towards maintaining spiritual health for ourselves. So firstly, let's look at the definitions of spirituality. And we see that according to Wikipedia, the meaning of spirituality has developed and expanded over time. And various meanings can be found. And I want us to pay particular attention to that. Because traditionally, spirituality referred to a religious process of reformation with the aim of recovering the original shape of man, being created in the image of God. The term was used with early Christians to refer to the life oriented towards the Holy Spirit and then broadened during the late Middle Ages to include mental aspects of life. In modern times, the term spirituality has been expanded indeed to refer to a whole range of subjective experiences of a sacred dimension and the deepest value and meanings by which people live, often in a context very different from the biblical concept of spirit and or spirituality. This may involve belief in a supernatural realm beyond the ordinary observable world, personal growth, a quest for an ultimate or sacred meaning, religious experience, not necessarily Christian, or an encounter with one's own inner dimension. In worldly or societal terms, spirituality refers to many aspects of so-called faith, which might include New Age ideas or even Wiccan practices. <laughs> now there's a scary thought. To think that what is so sacred to us as Christians can get so warped by the world Definitions in and of themselves can be very confusing. But we, as Christians, have the word of God to rely on. In the definitions that we just read, we see that the word spirit or spirituality, as it's broadly used in society today, has nothing to do with God or with Christ. And we see from the expanded definition the confusion that often exists 
between spirit and soul. So let's get things straight right from the beginning. Scripture, the Bible, the Word of God, is our life textbook. And it talks only about spirit in relation to God. Our God is a triune God. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Our first reference to the Spirit of God is in Genesis 1-2. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. The word spirit used here first in Genesis, in Aramaic and the original Hebrew is ruah or ruach, meaning breath or spirit. And is similar to the Greek word for spirit, which is pneuma, and means to breathe or to blow, primarily denoting the spirit. Breath and or the spirit, like the wind, is invisible, immaterial. Immaterial in that it isn't something you can hold on to or feel or touch. And yet, it's very powerful. In Genesis 2-7, Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the earth. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. And if I could just ask someone to get me a bottle of water, that would be great. Thank you. So God breathed the breath of life into man, and he became a living person. Picture that in your mind if you can. God breathes his breath into the lungs of man. His spirit, his breath, created humanity. And I want to draw here a distinction between the spirit of God, as seen in the Old Testament, and the spirit, as seen in the New Testament. We know that in the beginning when God created man, he breathed his breath into him. Thus the spirit of God was in man. The spirit inspired holiness in the Old Testament believers. Psalm 143.10 says, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your gracious spirit lead me forward on a firm footing. And we see numerous examples in the Old Testament of how the Spirit of God came upon the prophets and others as they were empowered to do the will of God. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit is the action by which God takes up permanent residence in the body of a believer in Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, the Spirit would come and go It wasn't permanently embedded in the body of the believers. 
However, in the New Testament, we see that that changed. Jesus revealed to his disciples the new role the spirit of truth would play in their lives. John 14, 17, he lives with you and will be in you. The apostle Paul wrote, do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20. So that really opens the topic of spiritual health. Not only are we called to take care of our bodies, we must take care of our spirit, which really is not ours. We are God's. We are bought with a price. Because of our sin, we all came into the world in a state of spiritual death. Just as Paul taught in Ephesians 2, 1 to 3, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. In the book of Acts, we read of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And people's lives literally changed. Look at Saul, for example, who became Paul. I love the image of Paul as I envision it in my own mind. Paul was on the road to Damascus. And I picture him riding on horseback and literally being knocked off the horse, knocked off to the ground with a two-by-four. That's how I picture God dealing with Saul, who later became Paul. And sometimes God has to hit us over the head with a two-by-four or do something drastic to grab our attention. But when we accept Christ and are filled with the Holy Spirit, then the Holy Spirit dwells within us. He becomes part of us. God with us and in us. We are spiritual beings. And as I said, I like to say we are spirit, soul, and body, recognizing that the spiritual aspect of who we are is that immortal part of us, that part that never dies. Oh yes, our bodies die, and that part of us fades away into dust. But the spiritual aspect of us lives on and never dies. And I want to distinguish between the spirit and the soul, which are words often used to mean one and the same thing. But the soul, or our mind, that thinking part, does die. And the only Hebrew traditional translated word soul, or nefesh, in English language Bibles, refers to a living, breathing, conscious body, rather than to an immortal soul. 
In the New Testament, the Greek word traditionally translated soul has substantially the same meaning as the Hebrew without reference to an immortal soul. Whereas the spiritual aspect of who we are is that immortal part which never dies. We read further in the Old Testament the promise that someday God would put his spirit in his people in a way that would cause them to live according to his statutes. In Ezekiel 37, 27, and I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. So that was a promise God was making in the Old Testament as to what he would do through Christ. In the New Testament, in John 15, 26, Jesus says, I will send you the advocate, the spirit of truth. In 1 Corinthians 3, 16, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? It's interesting to note that God sent his son, Jesus. He sent Jesus not only to die for us, but he sent Jesus to dwell amongst us. And then Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in us. So if the Spirit of God lives in us, then what does it mean for us to have spiritual health? And how do we develop and maintain good spiritual health? Well, Firstly, in order to be spiritually healthy, we must be in right relationship with God. And so, how do we come into right relationship with God? Well, let's see what the scriptures have to say. In Romans 3.22, we are made right with God by practicing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. And in Romans 3.25, for God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. To be in right relationship with God, you have to know him, you have to obey him, and you have to reflect him. So we have to know God, not only know about God. You know, we can talk to numerous people, even those who wouldn't necessarily claim to be Christian, who know about God. But we have to know God. We have to know God deep in our hearts. God is all about relationship. He created us to be in relationship with him. So to be in right relationship with God, you have to obey him. 1 John 2, 3 says it very simply. And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. So where are you at? Just as I'm going through here, ask yourselves these questions. Do you obey him? And in what ways? Well, to be in right relationship with God, we also have to reflect him. Does your life reflect the character of Christ? In 1 Colossians 3, 12 to 14, 
Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. So we must be in relationship with God, in right relationship. We must also practice good spiritual hygiene. Hygiene refers to the practice of maintaining health, especially through cleanliness. So how do we keep our spirits clean? Well, here are a number of steps you can take in practicing spiritual hygiene. First, read your Bible. One of the questions I often ask my students in Zimbabwe, and they are all preparing for ministry. And so in my classes, I will say, how many of you have read the Bible? And I'll have a number of hands go up, and then I'll say, how many of you have read the Bible in its entirety, from Genesis through to Revelation? And I might get one or two hands up. And I say, how can you know the Word of God? How can you preach the Word of God if you haven't read it? So 2 Timothy 3.16.17 says, All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Then, besides reading your Bible, consistent daily prayer is essential. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, never stop praying. So to pray without ceasing means to have our minds always on the things of God to be in constant communication with him. And so we should be waking up in the morning and saying, good morning, God, and inviting him into every aspect of our day. Colossians 4.2 says, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. So, we also need to fellowship with other believers. And Colossians 3.16 says, let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. So that indicates that we should be together with other believers. Hebrews 10.24.25 says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. And then, 
we also have to share our faith with others. Romans 10, 14 to 15 says, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? Is that someone you? Is that someone me? Then Matthew 28, 19 says, therefore go and make disciples of all the nations. That therefore go is for every one of us. We don't all go to Africa, we don't all go to other foreign countries, but we all go to our neighbors, to others, to family and friends to share the word of God. But sometimes that's the hardest part. It takes courage, but God will bring people into your life, people who don't have a relationship with him. We can't shove the gospel down someone's throat. Or there really isn't any winner if we argue the gospel with someone. But what we can do is to share what Christ has done in our lives. We can share what Christ has done for me. How has he changed my life? So tell your story to others. What has changed for you? Remember that your story is your story. It's not disputable. And for those that you are sharing it with, pray that they will simply listen. God can do the rest. So those are just a few of the ways that we can practice spiritual hygiene. Then our, our final step, the third step, is to remember your first love. When you encountered Christ for the very first time, there was probably a real excitement in your life. And you couldn't wait to share that experience with others. I encourage you to think on that often. And don't let that excitement die. We can always be on fire for Christ. And for me, and many of you have already heard this, I'm always 110%. And that has nothing to do with me, personally. I can always be over the top for the Lord. And so, what is your excitement? How do you express that? Don't let that excitement die. Christ is the best thing that has ever happened or can ever happen in your life. And so, one final scripture, John 15, four to five. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. The words of Christ. We all want to be healthy. And so in summation, in order to be spiritually healthy, we must be in right relationship with God, we must practice spiritual hygiene, and we must remember the excitement of our first love for Christ. 
In order to do any or all of this, we must accept and recognize that we are not our own. We were bought with a price, and the Holy Spirit dwells within us. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. And I would invite the music ministry team to come back up and lead us as they invite anew, as we invite anew the Holy Spirit to be present in our lives. And as they come, just bow with me in a word of prayer. Oh, gracious, loving God. Oh, we thank you. We thank you, God, that we belong to you. That your Holy Spirit lives within us, God. We are not our own. We are bought with a price. And so, God, I just pray that your word has spoken to hearts here today. And that even as we um, just invite the Holy Spirit to refresh itself in our lives, God, that we will go from here today renewed and revitalized, knowing that we belong to you, God. And we just thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.